So I did a little confessing at 9.30, and um, I'll just confess it to you guys as well. So I, I um, man, like, this is, um, So I did not live, I did not spend my day yesterday um, free. I did not spend my day yesterday um, living out of bondage. Um, I very much spent the day yesterday believing the lie. Just share that for what it's worth. Um, and I think that I'm just reminded this morning <clears throat> of how hard it is to be to be a child of God and not to be who he says you are. When we live according to what the world tells us we are, we're never going to make it there. So we have to reach a place where we start saying, you know what? I am who you say that I am. I'm nothing more. I'm nothing less than your child. And um, man, yesterday I was just believing the lie all day. Just believing the lie. And that was playing itself out in a lot of messy cobwebs in my life. But uh, yeah. So here we are. We're locating the spider today. (laughs) I think I found mine. Have you found yours? Because if we're ever really going to break free, here's the deal, folks. I felt yesterday as though I was dragging a 500-pound ball and chain behind me. And I can't be the man of God. I can't be the father. I can't be the husband. I can't be the pastor that I really feel like God is tugging at me to be as long as I'm dragging behind me a 500-pound ball and chain. You understand what I'm saying? The weight of that, the weight of those lies, the burden it is to carry them, I mean, it'll just take us down. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're sitting in the chair and when Eric says, everybody stand to your feet, it's like it's hard for you to even get up to your feet because you're just holding on to that weight, right? But if that's you, I would just say you're not alone. Maybe after the service, we can pray for each other. I don't know. We got to locate those spiders. And we got to break free from the lies that the enemy has planted in us. And listen, he comes to do it at the most opportune times, doesn't he? He finds the season of our life where we are the most vulnerable and he attacks. And they're lies, but the enemy makes them sound true. I mean, a lie's not any good if it sounds like a lie. So what does he do? He slips in there and he makes them sound just true enough that we believe them and that we embrace them. More often than not, it's during these seasons of vulnerability where the enemy attacks. They may be marked by difficulty. They may be marked by despair. They may be marked by death. But the one thing that they all have in common is that they're all marked by darkness. Can we do what we did first service and just kill the lights? Can it, we're killing spiders. We might as well kill the lights too. Just take those lights down. I just want us to sit in darkness for a few seconds this morning.
All right, bring them up. Man, when we're in seasons of darkness, we have no idea what is going on around us. We have no idea what is lurking in that corner just right over there. And I'm telling you that we, when we are in seasons of darkness, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, when we are in seasons of darkness, the enemy is just lurking. He is just looking for the right opportunity to just attack. And that's not to say that the enemy can't get to us on the mountaintop because he can and he does. I mean, life can be seemingly going really well. Everything's kind of falling into place. And at that moment, the enemy can't attack. But I'd rather like to think that the enemy prefers the valleys. I'd like to think that the enemy probably prefers it when we're at our lowest, when we're in those seasons of, of darkness. I feel like the enemy is just sitting back watching for those moments in our lives when we're really open to believing the lies. And sometimes we might get years down the road and look back and we don't even remember when those lies were actually formed, but they're there. May have been something like a comment that someone made about your appearance in, in childhood. Or it may have been something much more traumatic like the time that your parents told you they were getting a divorce or anything in between. But the enemy snuck in there, and he whispered a lie, and you believed it. When our oldest child, Annabelle, was only five or six years old, we were living elsewhere in a, in a home, and um, not here in Anderson Township, obviously, and uh, we had kind of been working on the house a little bit just to kind of bring it up, bring it up to, to speed, so to, so to speak. Um, and we had been renovating the bathrooms. We were tearing out drywall, tearing out insulation. And that night, um, Annabelle was in the bathroom already. We were running the bathtub, um, getting her ready for a bath. And all of a sudden, she started screaming, Mom, 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 Dad, Dad, there's a, there's a black widow spider in the, in the bathroom. And I mean, of course, in my super confident, cocky, I'm way more smarter than you kind of voice, I was like, Annabelle, there's not a black widow spot, you know, because how, you know, as kids, kids exaggerate, right? Adults never do that, just kids. Um, and so I make my way to the bathroom, and sure enough, they're in the tub, black widow spider. I mean, she'd recognized it by the red hourglass on its back, and she said, Dad, I told you, we learned about him in kindergarten. <laughs> and my first thought was, what are they teaching you in kindergarten? Pretty sure that's not in the curriculum. But she had called it what it was. And that got me a little freaked out, right, as a parent. I mean, we had three kids at the time, and this was an old house. And so I went to, I went to the only place that I knew where to go with my troubles, and that was Google. <laughs> and I just typed in there, like, where do I find black widow spiders? And sure enough, black widow spiders, southern, I think, black widow spiders, lived in that region. And it said, it said this, this is, this is what I uncovered in my research, and it's going to be a focus of, of part of what we talk about today, so I'm going to read it for you. It says, look for them in dark, secluded, and protected areas like boxes, firewood, corners, closets, basements, and areas filled with clutter. I know you have none of those places in your house, <laughs> but just in case you do, be aware. And really that applies to all spiders. And so after reading this, we kind of made our best educated guess that what had happened is when we had been renovating and been pulling out the insulation from the wall, the spider most likely had been living in the wall of the house. And it kind of snuck his way out 
He'd made his way to the toilet paper roll sitting on the back of the toilet, and when Annabelle had reached to grab the toilet paper roll, the spider was on it. She flung it into the tub, hence the existence of the spider. So a scary experience, right? But, but I don't really want us to think about so much the story as I want us to think about that line. Look for them in dark, secluded, and protected areas. And by the way, one thing I'm not going to hit on, but that last line, areas filled with clutter, kind of applies. Pretty sure the enemy attacks us when our life is filled with clutter. But I want us to look back and I want us to look at those first three things. Look for them in dark, secluded, and protected areas. There's a good chance that the space in our story where the false agreements were formed look a lot like these three things. The place where the spider began, the place where the lie began, and our agreement with that lie look a lot like darkness, seclusion, and protected areas. We know from Scripture that the enemy, like a spider, lurks in the dark. The Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 26, verses 17 and 18, listen to this, he says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Did you notice what Paul says there? I mean, Paul's mission was to the Gentiles. His mission was to open their eyes and to do what? To turn their eyes from darkness to light, or in other words, from the enemy to God himself. Where there is darkness in our lives, there is at the very least an opportunity for the enemy to make a mess of things. That's just the truth. This got me to thinking, well, then, of course, all crime would have to occur at night, right? Which it doesn't, not all crime. But I did do a little research, and according to the U.S. Department of Justice, the majority of violent crime, particularly violent crime committed among those 18 and over, happens between the hours of 8 and 10 p.m. In other words, just after dark. In chapter 1, verse 6 of 1 John, John says this. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. You see, there were those in John's day, they were called Gnostics, who were claiming to have fellowship with God, to be in relationship with God. But they were walking in moral darkness and sin. And so Jesus, via John, calls them out. They're liars. They've believed the lie, and they're living the lie. And church, maybe that's you, like it was me yesterday, maybe that's you this morning. If you really sat back in your chair and started doing some personal reflection, maybe you would come to understand that you're living a lie. Perhaps you're just kind of going through the motions of Christianity. You're claiming truth, but you're believing and living by the lie. It happens. Perhaps you've made an agreement that is keeping you in darkness, that is keeping you in sin. Perhaps you are in bondage, but the question is, can you admit it? 
Are you willing to admit it? Are you willing to be exposed? If I gave every one of you this morning the opportunity to make your way up onto this platform and to admit to the remainder of this room, hey, I need to be exposed. Because you know what? I've been walking in darkness. I've been living a lie. I've been living in bondage. I've been dragging the 500-pound ball and chain. Could you do it? Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5.11. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them. Light exposes things for what they are. The light comes on and suddenly we're able to see things more clearly. How many of you as a child at some point were scared of the dark? You have a memory. You watched a movie, you saw a show, you read a book, something happened, and all of a sudden, mom, dad, can you turn the light on, leave the door cracked, leave the lamp on, get me a nightlight, whatever the case might be. Sleep with my special glow warm, right? <laughs> I don't know. You needed something to light up the room. Why? Because when there's light, all of a sudden you can see what those things are that are sitting over there in the corner. You can see what those things are that are hanging on the wall. You can see what is lying at the foot of your bed. You can see it for what it is. Well, guess what? The Bible speaks of Jesus as being the light of the world. Jesus Christ came to shed light on all of our darkness. When he comes into our life personally, individually, he comes in order that he might shed light on all the things that we are living in darkness about, all the lies that we're believing. The light of the word made flesh is a powerful tool to shine in the darkest corners of our lives. Paul's mission in Acts 26 was to rescue the Gentiles from darkness and the power of Satan. He knew that he couldn't do it on his own. They wouldn't be able to do it on their own. He knows that we can't do it on our own, that I can't do it on my own. We all need Jesus. He is the light of the world. And so the enemy goes after us in seasons of darkness, but the enemy also goes after us in seasons of seclusion. How many of you, when a bad thing has happened in your life or you've been through a difficult time, you have pulled back? You have stepped away. You have removed yourself from the company of other believers. I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, that doesn't work. God has created us to be in community with one another. When we are in close community with other Christians, we are better protected. But the second that we choose to withdraw, to pull away, to separate ourselves, that's when the enemy can get in there and attack. I mean, you probably remember the story from Scripture of Jesus' temptation. The Scriptures say in Luke 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Go figure. And so the tempter came to him in his moment of vulnerability, in his moment of weakness, and he said, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. And we know from scripture that that wasn't the only temptation that Satan came at Christ with. So here we have Jesus 
alone in the desert, hot, sweaty, tired, hungry. Remember, he was human, just like us. And along came the spider. And along came the tempter. And the same can be said for us. Satan comes in our weakness. Satan comes when we are weary. Satan comes when we are worn. And Satan comes when we are withdrawn. Go ahead. Pull yourself back and say, I can do it. I can handle this one. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm talented enough that I don't need other people to help me through this. I dare you. Because you know where you're going to find yourself? Tangled up in a big old fat chunky web. Satan comes when we're alone. It is in those moments of loneliness that the enemy whispers lies like, you're not good enough. And you're not good enough quickly turns into you aren't capable. And if you're not good enough and you're not capable, then you're clearly not wanted. Why? Because you're not worth anything. Besides, God's abandoned you. Jesus doesn't love you. And the list goes on and on and on. And if there is no one around you to tell you otherwise, then you fall prey to those lies. The enemy is looking for just the opportune time. In fact, after telling the story of Jesus' temptation, Luke records these words in verse 13. He says, when the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until what? An opportune time. You see, Satan was unsuccessful in his temptation of Jesus. Three times he came at him. Three times Jesus rebuked him. But that didn't discourage the enemy. He'd be back. He'd be back. He'd wait for just the opportune time. Perhaps you're here today and you're feeling rather alone. Maybe it's self-inflicted. You've secluded yourself from family, from friends, from the fellowship of believers. Well, if so, I would say this. Beware. Be on your toes. Perhaps you've heard the lies of the enemy, and, and while right now you're doing a pretty good job at combating them for yourself, if you were to be honest, you would say, yeah, I'm wearing down. I mean, maybe we should just all get t-shirts printed up that say, I'm worn down. And that way, when we walk around, you know, walk around the community, walk around school, walk around our neighborhoods, people can just kind of look at you and go, oh, you too? Because <laughs> we're all there. I mean, I see that in this culture day in and day out. I see it in my own family where we're just go, 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 and we never stop, and so we're worn down. That was me yesterday. I blew up. I blew up on my wife. Why? Because I was worn down, people. And that's where we get to. And that's when the enemy just sneaks in there and says, let me give you a little something to believe about yourself. Folks, we're in a battle. We're in a battle. 
And we need each other. And finally, the spider not only comes to us in darkness and in moments of seclusion, but the spider also comes to us in protected areas. Now, this sounds a little odd because you would think, well, if I'm protected, then I'm safe. That's not exactly what this means. You see, we, we think of protection as a good thing, but in these terms, not so much. A spider will dwell in a protected area, such as a box or, or whatever the case might be. A spider builds his web in a corner. And I would ask you this morning, how many times has the enemy tried with his lies to corner you, to box you in, to make you believe something about yourself that just, or your situation that just simply isn't true? We're in a war. Ephesians 6 talks about it. Paul says to put on the full armor of God. Why? So that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. You see, he is scheming. When I was a child and I would go over to my Grandma B's house, um, we would play checkers. For you young people in the room, that's not electronic checkers. That's like the real thing. And we'd just sit on the floor and we'd play game after game of checkers. And it didn't take me very long, even as a child, to realize that as the game was nearing its conclusion, if I wanted to be grandma, I had to get her remaining pieces backed into a what? Corner. So that I could take away her moves. It was strategic. I was scheming. And so was the devil. So was the enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, and they are there. We want to walk around pretending like it's, they're not there. They're there. They were with me yesterday in my truck as I was screaming at my wife on the phone. They're there, folks, and they're going to do whatever they can to convince us that the lies are true. No one is exempt. If we deny the reality of a spiritual battle, then we are denying that the enemy exists and that he is trying to distract us from the work of God and the work that God wants to do in helping us clean out these cobwebs and kill these spiders. Like a spider, the enemy wants to get us backed into a corner. Evil will find our Achilles heel. I mean, the enemy can even take good things in our life and spoil them and use them against us. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, it is the nature of evil to take good things and then just twist them ever so slightly. So even those things in your life that everyone else would look at and say, oh, that's a, that's a good thing, they can become weapons of mass destruction. We need to take time to recognize the dark deceptions and stop allowing the enemy to have control. We need, in other words, to break free. And if we're going to locate the spider, and if we're going to expose things for what they are, and if we're going to bring things to the light, then we're going to need Jesus. And we're going to need to believe what Jesus has to say about who we are. we're going to break free, we need Jesus. And the sooner that we can get ourselves to living in the light, the sooner we can start living life without all the cobwebs and the spiders.
I'm tired of my sister always saying, I'm prettier than you. You're so weird, no one wants to be your friend. Her friends chime in and call me names too. I shout back, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. But those words do hurt. I just wish I had a friend who likes me for the way I am. Fast forward 12 years. I'm a master at reinventing myself. College has allowed me to be a different person. I'm an officer in my sorority, I've made tons of new friends, and I love being the center of attention. It appears that I have it all together, but on the inside, things aren't too good. I don't like myself. I've started meeting tons of new guys, quickly going from one to the next. I start drinking at parties, you know, to fit in and forget. But on the inside, I feel so empty. Fast forward 10 years. My firm just hired a new manager over my department. He's really great. He's asking me throughout the day for my professional opinion. He even invited me to lunch the other day, and uh, I was feeling really flattered because he was asking for my advice about his marriage. I shared some issues in my marriage, too. My husband acts like I've, I've been really distant lately, and he says he misses me. I love him. I just don't know if I'm in love with him. I don't know. I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I, I just don't understand what I'm doing. So in the life of Megan, it started at a really early age. Elementary school, the hurtful words from friends, that's where the spiders and the cobwebs really became a real thing. You're ugly. You're stupid. Nobody wants to be around you. Nobody wants to be your friend. You're not worth anything. And to us as adults, they seem small. They seem innocent. They're things that probably a lot of us have heard before in our life. But they hurt. And they have consequences. Because 12 years later, Megan's in college. And she's doing the college thing, right? Partying, drinking, jumping from guy to guy, trying to fit in, trying to be something, trying to prove something. Something, something that she's been trying to prove since childhood. You see, Megan still thinks that her value is in what others think of her. It's not in what God thinks of her. And then fast forward another 10 years, and those same lies that were affecting Megan in childhood are still affecting her well into her adult years. Sure, she's married now. She's successful based on the way the world looks at things. She's got a good job. She's got good relationships. But she's still searching for who Megan really is. She's still searching for the approval of other people, so much so that she's allowed this coworker to kind of woo her and, and bring her into his own web of deception. It's got her questioning her relationship with God. It's got her questioning her marriage. And until Megan comes face to face with the reality that she is a child of God, loved by God unconditionally, and that God has an amazing plan and purpose for her until she can expose the sins and the cobwebs and the spiders in her life for what they are and bring them to the light of Jesus Christ, nothing's going to change. And it's the same for you, and it's the same for me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
we confess to you this morning that on many occasions, as children, as teenagers, and as adults, we have believed the lie. And God, that lie looks a lot of different ways across this room this morning. There's a lot of different spiders, a lot of different cobwebs. But God, there's one fundamental truth, and that is that in order to break free from it, we have to allow you to start defining who we are. And so Christ, we welcome you into our life this morning. And we ask you to help us locate, capture, and kill some of these spiders. Because God, life lived in the darkness and in seclusion and backed into a corner is no way to live. So help us to break free from the chains of oppression this morning and to live the full and abundant life that you offer through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people stood up to worship.